So we will continue in concluding our sermon series that we're doing on the three simple rules or basically the three general rules that John Wesley suggested that we as followers of Christ follow as we kind of go and live faith in the world. Now, I will go back one time. I want to backtrack just a second to be able to say I realized uh, after the video we shot that we actually miscounted. Uh, So I just want you to be aware that it's more than four when you really think about the fact that we had... Uh, Tony Love came and helped us, Terry Whitlow came and helped us, uh, Claire came and fed us, uh, and Angie came and cleaned up after us. Uh, so uh, it was a whole lot more, really, when you stop to think about how many Methodists it takes to change a light bulb, we might answer eight. Uh, so, uh, but, but anyway, so we're, we're back to this series where we're trying to look at the, the, the simple rules, um, and the last rule that we come to is this rule about staying in love with God, uh, which is fitting because it is the week of Valentine's, the week that we kind of talk about love and, 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 and we, we, we think about love. Uh, and so it's fitting for us to stop and think about how do we stay in love with God? Um, it always pauses me when I think about love and, and that kind of thing. I always tend to move to my relationships. And so I, I think about my relationship with my wife. Um, we are, I am proud to say that this year we will celebrate our 30th uh, wedding anniversary. Um, yep. Now, I realize some of you are thinking, that's nothing. Uh, I've got 50 and 60 and all that, and we certainly can learn a lot from you uh, with that regard. But, but I'm, I'm pretty excited that, that, that we've made it to 30. Uh, we, we met when we were 19 um, at the University of Georgia. We were both sophomores. We were neighbors, and uh, we have been together ever since. Uh, when we graduated the University of Georgia, I stayed in Athens. Uh, I was a biochemist, and so I stayed and worked there uh, at the University of Georgia. And uh, Claire went to work at a law firm in Marietta, and so we spent a lot of time uh, on the phone. Um, we got married uh, about a year after that. Uh, so when Claire married me or agreed to marry me, she was certainly had no idea of this. Uh, I was a biochemist uh, when we married, uh, and then I went into pharmaceutical sales, and then after pharmaceutical sales, we um, moved back to my hometown and took over family business and worked together to, to, to run that. Um, and then one day I walked in to her world and said, I think God's calling me to be a preacher. Uh, and she said, okay, and we sold our house. We Latham was in school at that time, and so we pulled Latham out of school, and we moved him to a different school. Uh, we gave up all of our friends and all of our support network, uh, and I was in school all the time, and, you know, seminary is hard in and of itself, but it's really hard when you have young kids, uh, and so uh, I was not really there, and she was having to carry all the weight, and I remember one time I came home, and it was just a day for her, and she was like, I just don't know about this. Uh, I don't think I'm called to be a preacher's wife. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, no. I mean, we sold our house. Uh, we, we moved. Uh, we pulled Latham out of school, and I'm like, why didn't you tell me this before uh, now? And um, this conversation, and I'm paraphrasing the actual conversation we had, she said something that was so profound that she said, you know, 
I believe in your call. I believe that you're called by God to be in ministry. And I'm doing this because I love you. Which made me love her even more. But what she said was something that so many of us have yet to understand. Which is love is an action. Love's not an emotion. Love is an action. It's a decision. Love is committing to do the things when you don't want to do them. And love is committing to doing the things that you don't understand. And love is committing to doing the things that you don't like to do. Love is it's a decision that we make. Love requires um, discipline. Love requires perseverance. Uh, love requires uh, us to be, to be willing uh, to be active. And so when we think about our faith, love requires us to be active in our faith. Um, there's a story. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 21. Um, there's a story I want us to read and, and, and at least think about when we're thinking about staying in love with God. Um, it's what I would call a, an encore story. Um, if you've ever if you've ever been to a concert um, and you're the the band is on the stage and they've they've played their set and they leave, what do you do? You cheer. Why do you cheer? Because you're waiting for them to come back on, right? You're, because they haven't played their number one hit, uh, so they're waiting. You're waiting for them to come back on and play an, a, an encore song, and so you cheer and they come on. So th- so in the book of John, if the um, if the story is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, the, the set has been played, and then the disciples, they kind of want an encore, and so what do they do? They go back to where it all began. They go back and begin to fish where they met Jesus, waiting for Jesus to come back for his encore presentation. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes back. He comes back and he calls the disciples in and begins to talk to them again. And this is where we get this encounter with Jesus and Peter. And I want you all to hear John chapter 21, verse 15 through 19. It says, when they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. He really gives him these three rules to live by in order to kind of grow closer to God. That He, he wants him to, to feed the sheep, take care of them, tend to them, and then follow me. So he gives him these rules to be able to guide him so that he can grow closer to God. And that's really what Wesley has been talking about as he's given us, the church, three rules to be able to, to guide ourselves with, to guide our faith. How do we, how do we grow 
as disciples. And what Wesley said was the first rule, which was do no harm. It was really a step back. It was a, it was a, a step of restraint that we are to avoid evil. We're to, to look at our relationships and our conversations, and we're to always challenge ourselves to do no harm. And then he builds upon that first rule with his second rule, which is not a step back. It's now a step forward. It's not just do no harm, but it's do good. And I shared this quote with you, which is actually how he expands this rule. He says, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can and all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. Wow. I mean, we're called to do good, to, to live a proactive life. We're called to be good even when people don't ask us to be good. We're called to, to live a life that is about healing and unity that we just sing about rather than division and conflict. We are called to do good. And then the third is to, to stay in love with God. The way the Wesley would word it would be is to attend to the ordinances of God. How do you stay in love with God? I remember not long, probably about five, seven years after we had gotten married, um, I had a conversation with a, an accountability partner. And he asked me, we were talking about just relationships, and he asked me a very, once again, profound question in my, in my life. He said, do you, do you pray for your wife? And I was like, yeah. I mean, I had this one. Uh, so I felt good. I was like, yeah, I do. And uh, he said, okay. He said, now let me ask you a different way. He goes, do you pray to stay in love with your wife? And I, I did, I, that had never even come to my mind. To pray, because I, I, I thought, okay, well, I'm in love. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be in love. And he challenged me to stop and think, do I pray to stay in love? Do you, do you pray in your relationship with God to stay in love with God? Wesley says that we attend to the ordinances because love is an action. One of the questions that we can begin to challenge ourselves is, do you, do you commit to investing in this relationship with God? Do you commit to being active in your faith with God? Do you commit to continuing to practice your faith, which gives the reality that you're going to mess up sometimes? Do you, do you commit to, to doing your faith, to persevering in your faith? Hebrews Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, so, let us, so then let us also run the race that is laid out in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him, and sat down at the right side of God's throne. The author of Hebrews says that, that for us to continue the race, that we've got to fix our eyes on, on Jesus. We've got to fix our eyes on the heart of God. We've got to fix our eyes on the perfect love of God. And so when we think about how do we stay in love with God, 
we have to focus ourselves on one thing. The cross of Jesus Christ. And we have to fix our eyes upon that. It, it is no coincidence that architecturally you walk in and your attention should go to the cross. The church is built, designed that way. Um, the last day that we were in the Dominican Republic, um, we spent about two hours in the capital city of Santo Domingo. And we all did different things. Some people went shopping. Uh, some people sat and just kind of people watched. Um, Barbara Danzo and I, um, we, we found a cathedral uh, that was right there on the, the main square uh, in, in town. And so we went into the cathedral and spent about 30 or 45 minutes just walking around. And if you've ever been into the cathedrals in New York City, it's the, kind of the same experience uh, that you have down there. And they have all the different side places for you to go and look. And, and we were walking through, and she and I were talking. And I don't know if, Barbara's here, I don't know if you had ever been in a big cathedral like that before. But, but all of the crosses in this we're not talking denominations here, so this is not like Catholic versus Methodism. But, but all the crosses, Jesus is still on the cross. And so we were talking about just the way that you feel because you walk through and it's kind of a very, very somber kind of moment. You're kind of very reflective. Um, contrast that to walking in this door And the cross is empty. The, the, the contrast, we discussed with the, the difference of the feeling. You're supposed to walk in and you're supposed to see the cross. And you're supposed to, to, to celebrate the resurrection. You're supposed to walk in and see the cross. And you're supposed to remember that, 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 that Jesus came and offers forgiveness. You're supposed to walk in and see the cross and, and think about the, the grace of God and the mercy of God. And, and you're supposed to walk in to the, see the cross and you're supposed to, to, to recognize the, the magnitude of what Jesus did in that place. And you're supposed to see the perfect love of God in this moment. And you're supposed to think about all the things that we're called to do as the people of God. Now, Wesley uses the cross as a way to help us understand grace. And what he says, which I love, which is that the vertical component of the cross is a grace, it's works of piety, it's the way that you relate to God. And then the horizontal component of the cross is works of mercy. And we talked a little bit about those last week. That every time we do something that's charitable. So when you, the UMW, are collecting uh, items to put in bags, the blessings in a bag. And then they're going to take those in March. And they're going to go and lead those into the, the homeless community. And every bag that we put together and we take into a homeless community, that they, we, we experience grace. And the person who receives that, we, we believe that they experience grace in that moment. That's a work of mercy. When we pack bags, those of you who, who are involved and active in the backpack, buddy, every bag that we deliver to a kid who's hungry, we believe that they experience grace and that we experience grace when we go shopping and we experience grace when we pack those bags. That's an act of mercy. 
when we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, when we go and visit people who are in prison, when we pray for people who are sick, it's an act of mercy. But folks, if all we see is acts of mercy, we see an incomplete picture of the cross. Do you get that? I mean, there are plenty of people who do not love Jesus Christ who do a lot of good things. And so Wesley challenges us to say, wait a minute, not only do we need to be looking at what we do horizontally, we need to challenge ourselves to stop and think about what do we do on works of piety? What do you do to stay close to God? What do you do to grow closer in your relationship with him? And so we talk a little bit about the way that we experience grace in our works of piety. One that is very important to me and I think is very important to, the, to, to, to all of us who follow Jesus Christ is prayer. Um, it is, it is a, it's a means of grace. I mean, I think about, again, I go back to my relationship with, with my wife. What kind of relationship would I have if we never talked? What kind of relationship would, would that look like? We would struggle, right? Everybody would, could, could acknowledge that any relationship you have, whether that's your children, your grandchildren, your friends, uh, people at church, if, if you never talk to them, it's hard to be in relationship with them. We have got to become people of prayer. It's how we communicate with the Holy Spirit. It's how we hear from God. It's how we share with God. A conversation is essential to a loving relationship with God. And you have to challenge yourself, how are you doing at having conversations with God? Do you have conversations with God that, that mirror your other relationships? Do you talk to God like you talk to your spouse? And there can be positives and negatives about that, by the way, which should bother us either way. But do you talk to God the way you talk to your children? Again, positives and negatives. Do you talk to God like you do with your friends? Do you talk to God with the frequency? Do you make the intentional effort to be in communication with God? Yesterday, I, I had to go to my parents' house, and it was a day that we had planned uh, two months ago. We put this on the calendar. Um, I knew that it was going to take me a couple hours to get there, we had to have a very serious conversation with regards to their care and how we're going to move forward. And it's, if those of you have had those conversations with either your, your parents or your children, you know it's not something that's fun. But it took about three, three and a half hours to have that conversation. So it took two hours driving, three and a half hours, two hours to come back. And I thought, you know, here I am going to all this effort to make sure that we have this really significant conversation do we take the same effort to have conversation with God? See, what I hear a lot is, well, I just don't have time. Or, well, I just, I pray all the time. Let me caution you. It's great to say that you have a prayer attitude all the time. Do you ever stop and pray? Because when I read the scriptures, Jesus stopped and prayed. So if Jesus needed to do that, I think we do. 
And so sometimes we can use the idea of, well, I just always am in an attitude of prayer as a reason not to pray. Do you, are, are you intentional? Folks, if you're not intentional in your prayer life, if you're struggling in your prayer life, please, that's what I'm here for. Call me. We need to, to work because there are resources that can help you grow in your prayer life, but you have to make an active, proactive step in growing in your faith and learning how to commit to being a person of prayer. It's a means of grace. It's a means of staying in love with God and conversing with him. Equally important would be scripture. Um, Let me share a quote with you from John Wesley who says, all who doth desire the grace of God, all who desire the love of God are to wait for it, are to wait for it in the searching of Scripture. Now, I have not always been in ministry. I told you that. So I've been in your shoes where sometimes my, my reading of Scripture was this. I would open up the Bible wherever it landed, and that's what I would read. And sometimes I would land really good, and i go, oh, I like that passage. I get it. And then sometimes I would land in Leviticus uh, and go, what is this about? Um, or even maybe worse, Numbers. Um, so you, you would read some of those passages, and you're thinking, I don't understand this. And so we struggle in reading Scripture. Um, I remember one time in a, in, in a class experience where we talked a little bit about Scripture, and, and, and one of the other participants um, of the class, he, he made a statement. He said, you know, he had children like I do, and he said, you know, that he wrote letters. I wished I had done this. This was brilliant. Um, you have young children. This is a good idea. Um, he said he wrote letters to them when they were two and when they were six and when they were 10 and when they were 13 and when they were 16 and when they were 18 and when they were 20 and that he wrote all these letters and that when they were 25, he was going to give them to them and that these letters would help them see all of the ways that he loved them and would give them wisdom, things that he wanted for them and things that he desired for them to have and all of these things that's what scripture is. It's God's love letter penned by men, inspired by the Holy Spirit for us. And so when we read scripture, read it looking for the love of God. And if you don't understand something, don't stop reading it. Challenge yourself to say, okay, well, how, how is this connected to this amazing love that we talk about? And immersing yourself in Scripture, you, we, we pull people around us. You can come in. At the end of this service, many of you are going to walk out the door and you're going to go home. Do you realize that if you walked this direction, there's six Sunday school classes that you can go in, and every single one of them is going to study the Bible, study Scripture. And if you say, well, I can't do it on, on Sunday mornings. I've got to leave. I've got to go to work, or I've I got to go do something that's family-related, whatever it may be. We have other classes. There's a, uh, a men's Bible study that meets uh, during the week. There's a women's Bible study that meets during the week. There's a, a, another Bible study that meets on Wednesday mornings, studying the book of Romans. There's plenty of options for studying Scripture. Some of you have Bible studies in your homes. We've got to be people of God who study the Word of God. It helps us to stay in love with God. 
The third would be communion. I know some of you are thinking, it's not the first Sunday of the month. Uh, Why is the communion set up? Uh, You know what? It's okay to do communion other than the first Sunday of the month. Uh, Because of what it means. Um, Communion is not just simply a remembrance of what Christ did. When we partake, when we partake the bread and the juice, we join with Christ. And we unite with Christ. And my identity, when I receive communion, when I take that bread and that juice, I remind myself that my identity is found in Jesus Christ. It is not found in my political thoughts. It's not found. My identity is not in my my race or my gender. My identity is not in the perception that I see in myself and the flaws that I have. My identity is in the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. And I just have to be honest with you. If you had my way, we'd take communion every week um, because it is such powerful exercise for as a way for us to remind ourselves of who we truly are and whose we are. And it's a way to grow in your love of God. And if you hear these things and you think, man, I just don't know how I'm going to live that out. Um, You know that after the first week, I challenged you to leave these doors and do no harm. And then the last week, I said, okay, I'm going to double challenge you. Do no harm and do good. And now I'm fixing to, and you know I'm going to do it at the end of the service. I'm going to say, you got to do no harm. you got to do good. And you got to figure out how to stay in love with God. And you go, man, that's just impossible. I don't see the possibility of that. That's individually, it's a daunting task. I'll give you that. But that's what I love about the Bible. Because the Bible says that we're a body of Christ. We're together. When I walk in this door and I see you and I learn and I know part of your story, then I can be reminded when I see someone that has been healed, I can be reminded that God is a healer. When I can see someone who God has carried through losing their spouse, I can remember that God is a comforter. When you see me, I hope and pray that you know that God is a God who offers freedom and offers forgiveness. And I can be reminded of that. So when you walk in this door, if you're doubting, if you're uncertain, we gather together in worship. Right? If you're overwhelmed, if you're nervous, we gather together in worship. If you're anxious, we gather together worship. And the scripture says where two or more gathered together, Jesus promises that he is there. And that's what we claim in this moment. It's a means of grace. It's how we grow closer to God. Every week, we walk in here and we have the opportunity to gather and know that God is able to be in this moment and God lifts us up, God encourages us, God empowers us, God strengthens us, and God transforms us. And when God transforms us individually and we do no harm, we do good, and we stay in love with God, God transforms our body. And when our body, when we make a commitment to do no harm and do good and stay in love with God, 
God uses us to go in the world, and we transform Henry County. And when Henry County, when we begin to do no harm and do good, and we stay in love with God, and we move out into the state, God transforms the state of Georgia. And then when we move into the United States of America, God transforms the nation. And then when the nation moves into other parts of the world, and we go on mission trips, and we do no harm, and we do good, and we stay in love with God, God transforms the world. It's how we stay in love with God. And so Wesley would say that we have to be people of prayer. We have to be people who study and immerse ourselves in Scripture. We need to celebrate the means of grace, the sacrament of communion, and we need to worship together as the body of Christ. So I challenge you. As we approach Lent, which if you know anything about Lent, Lent is the season in the church where we prepare ourselves for Easter. It's the season where you're able to reflect and think about what do you need to let go? What's separating you from, from God and God's will in your life? What are you going to do to stay in love with God? What's your action? Because love is not an emotion Love is a decision. Love is a, a, a commitment. Love is an action that you have. How are you going to stay in love with God? Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we come in this moment. And I am certain all of us fail at this. There are times in the week where I feel like I am so close. And there are times where I feel I'm so far away. Your word tells me that you never leave me. That you are closer than breath. So I pray, God, that I can stay in love with you. And I pray that for each and every person here. Help us. Help us to, to have a burden and a passion for staying connected so that we can grow closer to you and that we can be more like you. Help us to be transformed by you. I pray, God, that all of us will think about these works of piety. Help us to be people of prayer and people who read and study the Bible. Help us to be people who, who celebrate communion, who enjoy and participate and engage in worship so that we can be the people that you called us to be. And we will give you praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.